Would you make our hearts open to hear what he has to say, Lord, and would you inspire us, God, to follow you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. As I said, it's really good to be with you. Um, we've been talking about coming down for a wee while, and now we're finally here, and it's great to be part of it. Aratahi, why did we change our name? Some of you will have been around for a long time, and you'll know us as NZBMS, New Zealand Baptist Missionary Society, or as Transend, or as Banzade, or as MPIL, or as Mission World. Um, why did we change our name? We had so many names. People were getting confused. And also we wanted to do what I said here when I started uh, just on four, nearly five years ago. The mandate for me was to help our mission capture the hearts of the under 35s. And so we looked at what's happening in our country and what's been part of our long journey. And we ended up saying we want to bring it all together. We want to hold the whole of New Zealand Baptist Mission And this is where we ended up, really because of a clever comment from a young person in the office. Aro means to focus on, to lock on to something like a laser-like focus. Imagine shooting and you've got the television, you're looking down the the scope, locking onto your target. So Aro is to lock on. And Tahi, as a modifier, means together. So together, we want to focus on what God is doing. Together we want to focus on God's mission. Together as 240 Baptist churches up and down New Zealand, we want to work for God's glory and mission. So Arutahi, hand-carved mission. The mission is not lost. Mission is in the forefront of what we say we're about. We're still about mission. But hand-carved picks up both a Kiwi way of being carving and acknowledges that God works with us all individually uniquely and personally. We're all part of this story. Anyone know about dendrochronology? Okay. I do. Yes, anyone want to have a best guess at what dendrochronology is? Sort of. You're close. You're close. You're very close. Two on this side. This is the bright side, it must be. Yeah. You, you, you hedge in the right way. But it's Absolutely. So trees lay down rings. You know, every time we have a birthday, we get a chocolate in this church. Don't get a chocolate in my church, but you get a chocolate here. But trees don't give each other chocolates when they have a birthday. They just lay down another ring. And if you want to know the story of a tree or of a forest, if you cut a branch or cut the trunk, sadly, what you have to do to achieve that, you can see the story in the rings when there was plenty of, of, of water around, when th- things were lush, when things were dry, when there was a plague that went through, when there was some kind of sickness went through, when there was a fire went through. All of that is laid down in the dendrochronology. So our dendrochronology, our story goes back to the woman in the middle there, whose name is Rosalie McGeorge. And in 1886, she as a single woman went to India. She got there and she was one of the early pioneer missions in the northern part of India, northeast part of India. Why God wove together the southwest Pacific and the northeast of India, I have no idea, but God is in the habit of doing these things. And she was a pioneer. 
She got there and she realized she wanted to learn the language and become one of the people. She dressed as an Indian woman. She spoke the language fluently. She left the house of the magistrate at the area that she was living in and went and lived with a Hindu family. That was radical. She realized that people looked at her and thought their taxes were paying for her salary, so she stopped earning a salary from New Zealand, and she got a small amount of money teaching English. And then she gave her life, her time, to working with women who were locked in their homes. She was about 100 years ahead of her time in terms of mission. And sadly, after six years, she got typhoid, and a few months later, she died. That's our beginnings. And then out of there, if you look down at the bottom, there's a house that was in a place called Brahmanbaria, now a Bangladesh. I'll show you that later. And then a few years later, there's that concrete two-story place, which is still there, in a place called Chompur in Bangladesh. And around from there, we were eventually given access by the Maharaja of Tripura to have access into the princely state of Tripura. And now, 85 years on from there, there are a 1,000 Baptist churches with 100,000 baptized members who fock a papa back to you. And if you went there, they would literally roll out the red carpet for you. They probably know more about your New Zealand mission history than you do. They'll tell you about New Zealand's mountains and its rivers, its capital city and its biggest city, and they've never been there. But they fock a papa back to you and they make up 61% of the Christians in that state. Did you know that? No. Coming on round, there's the writing of the scriptures in Kabruk, Kokbruk, which is one of the key languages of Tripura. And then coming around the beginning of the businesses in Calcutta, which are freedom businesses. Businesses that give women in particular freedom from extreme poverty and sexual exploitation. That's what we're about. That's our story. And it's wrapped up here, the dendrochronology in this image. It's kind of supposed to be like the rings of a tree, that we stay true to the essence of our beginning. But it's also like a fingerprint that God is hand-carving with each one of us personally. We're all asked to be part of this, but as we are, as the people that God has made us. And if you look carefully, you might see a topographical map you might see two hands reaching to hold each other up and down. Different people see different things. Now, our beginnings are here. This awesome group of gender-inclusive leaders in the Baptist Church of New Zealand gathered in 1886, and they said, we want to do something in mission in the world. It was the blokes who had a good idea, but it was women like Rosalie McGeorge who got on and did it. Our first six missionaries were all single women. But these guys had the good idea, and they said, this is the same mandate that we carry today, to empower and to encourage the Baptist churches of New Zealand to fulfill the great commission of God, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, wherever God may lead them. So our job is to help you fulfill Jesus' great commission, Matthew 28, wherever God may lead you. But corporately, we've been led to India and to um, Bangladesh in particular for the longest time. So I thought I might do Jesus' greatest hits today. I'm a child of the 70s, and some of you won't know this because you're younger than this, but there used to be a thing called a cassette tape. 
And when I was growing up in the 70s, these colors were in. It was kind of a little bit hippie style. And we, we, my generation, we would have our cassette tape of the greatest hits. No, no one remembers that. Okay. And every year they had the greatest hits come out, you know, one of 1975 greatest hits. Yeah, no, okay, sorry. This is history. I thought I'd do Jesus' greatest hits today. Okay? And like you, Andrew, I've got four. And like you, they all begin with C. So but a couple of them are just slightly different. Jesus' greatest hit, or one of his greatest hits, is the Great Commandment. You might have heard of it. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What did Jesus do? He summarized it down. He got to the essence and he said it's about worship and it's about mission. And the two are linked. Worshipping God, Gloria Dei. Loving your neighbor, Missio Dei. The two are intimately linked. And we're called, Jesus says, to fulfill this great command. Makes one of Jesus' greatest hits. Another one of Jesus' greatest hits is the Great Commission, which is the basis of our essence. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I find that so reassuring. Because most of the time I'm that mix. I want to follow, I believe, I worship, and I doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. It's kind of, it's all here. All of it's here. And it's in about 40 Greek words. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. All authority. Not some authority, not most authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In the name of all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all I've told you, and I will be with you always. It's all here. All authority, all nations, all of God, all of Jesus' teachings, with us always. It sums it up. What a hit. You want a greatest hit? It's there. The sad part is, and I'm not picking on our two American guests and friends here, just that we don't do research like you do. Barna is a research group in the United States of America that researches uh, American Christians. And a few years ago, they did some research on who had heard of the Great Commission. So they went to people who regularly go to church, regularly go to church, and this is what they found. 6% said, I'm not sure if I've heard of the Great Commission. 17% said, yes, and I know what it means. 25% said, yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. The scary one is that 51% said, no, 
Now, I don't think that's any different here to there. It's just we don't do the research. Lots of people come to church. Lots of people are involved. Lots of people call themselves Christians, but they wouldn't know what is Jesus' great commission. And what does it mean for me? What does it mean for us as a community of faith here in Wilson Street, Timaru? Two of Jesus' great hits. It's all there. Number three, Jesus' great compassion. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is Jesus in eternity. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is the outworking of Jesus' mandate in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. The Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It's Jesus picking up that same mandate and giving it to his disciples. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. For me, if there's a greatest hits of Jesus, this one comes in. His call that we be people of compassion. Yes, we be people who spread the word and the great commandment, but also people who do and live out the life of Jesus with the cup of water, the sandwich, the bed, the roof, the visit, the care. So I said there are four, Andrew. They all start with C. Still with me? Must be one to go. One to go. Jesus' great commitment. Jesus' commitment. My prayer is not for them alone. This is carrying on from where uh, Andrew took us in communion today, a little bit later in that conversation with the disciples that began with the washing of the feet in communion. And he's telling them about his longing and his prayer as he's anticipating his death. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, back to worship, and they may be the one as, may be one as we are one. I am them and you are me. So they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' great commitment to this work of God. So I was saying there was, um, let's go back for a second, there was, oh, it doesn't go back, that goes back. Um, There was four great hits of Jesus. Let me make sense of them very briefly. Jesus calls us to holistic mission, the whole of mission. Today, missions must relate to the whole of life. Missions is calloused hands, dirty faces, open eyes, and warm embraces, listening ears, 
compassionate care, open mouths with hope to share. It's all that we are in Christ in the world. What's mission? It's holistic. It involves all of us and all of the world. What's mission? It needs diverse teams like Jesus called for unity. There's a line in here that says the time of the rugged individual pioneer missionary is not our time. Because what we'll speak is how we live in unity. And our world desperately needs to see people who can live in unity. Because we're doing really well at pulling apart at the moment. We're not doing so well at pulling together. The most potent type of Christian community is diverse, multicultural missionary teams. Rugged individualism is no longer relevant. Rather, radical communities and close-knit ministry teams doing life together and doing it under Christ's lordship, a missionally-centered way of doing community might be just the most effective mission strategy of all. Lastly, everyone gets involved. Everyone gets to play. I don't know when you were at school, but often when I was at school, you'd have two teams. Teacher would say, form two teams. You, you're captain of this team. You're your captain of this team. And they'd pick their team. Oh, Bill. Oh, Mary. Oh, John. Oh, Jill. And only some people got picked. Anyone been in that school? God's not in that school. Everyone gets to play. Everyone has a place to part, a part to play. As we play ours, we need to lovingly allow others to play theirs and value each other's participation. And this God is worshipped and will be glorified throughout the whole earth. What are we about at Aratahi? It's New Zealand Baptist Mission. We go to the least reached, the most vulnerable, for the long haul, in diverse teams, learning from a bicultural way of life. That's what we want to commit to going forward. Let me tell you two stories and then wrap up. There's my four, Andrew. Got that down? Got them? You might be able to use this next week. Where did we start? I don't know if anyone was here when we started. 1882? No? Okay. What happened? An American man, Mr. Snow, came to New Zealand because he heard about the waters of Rotorua and they had a healing property. He was a well-off man. And when he came to Rotorua, he saw the life of Māori in a particular tribe, and he saw how alcohol was devastating the lifestyle and the families in that community. And Mr. Snow started a mission to care for Māori. What did I do? I went away for a second. To care for Māori, and um, he was very good at it. And it started to grow. And he went to the Auckland Baptist Tabernacle, which was the Central Baptist Church of Auckland, in 1883 and said, could the Baptist of New Zealand help me in this work with New Zealand Māori? And they did. And over a wee while, they designed a way that New Zealanders could help. And they called it the cardboard box. And everyone in the small number of 20-something Baptist churches in New Zealand got a little cardboard box once a year with a wee hole in it. And they said, would you put some coins in the cardboard box so it could help this work with Māori? And that's what we did. Until 1884, when sadly Mr. Snow died, and they decided to replace Mr. Snow with a missioner trained for mission work from the Great Britain. And he came out to New Zealand and started to carry on the work that Mr. Snow had begun. 
And what happened was that the second man wasn't anywhere near as kind. He used to walk around the place knocking pipes out of senior Māori men's mouths. He didn't like smoking. He didn't respect the culture or the language. He just berated them. And the Māori leaders ended up writing back to the Auckland Tabernacle and said, could you please take this man away? He is rude and he does not respect us. And so they did. They asked him to come out of that mission. A few months later, Tararua erupted. And that village was destroyed in the Tararua eruption of the volcano. And a few months later again, those men you saw who started our mission, they got together and said, God is calling us to the world. Now this bit's tough. Māori are a dying race. The future is India. Let's go there. And we did. In 1886, Half the money in the cardboard boxes went to support Māori mission, which we didn't have anything happening, and half went to support India. By the end of 1886, all the money was going to India. In 1887, Baptists of New Zealand gathered together and they said, we have a duty to bring mission to Māori as well. So we did what Baptists always do. We formed a committee. To report back a year later. So in 1888, when the Baptists got together again at Oxford Terrace Baptist Church in Christchurch, they voted unanimously not to support Māori mission. Because the Methodists, the Anglicans and the Catholics were already doing a good job and we were being called to India. Now, going to India has been a huge blessing. But we left something important. And so work had been done for five years before I came on the scene. But ironically, my second meeting in the job was to deliver a letter to our Māori leaders saying we apologise that for 60 years we did nothing with Māori. And a wise Māori man sat there and he said, we see your repentance But repentance, I think, has two parts. It's saying sorry and doing something differently. And so we've been exploring with our Māori leaders, how can we support Māori mission by Māori for Māori? And two years ago, just over a year ago, we started this mission with Sean Delaney in the Motueka area with Māori in that community. A year on, it's going really well. Last weekend, we met with our Māori leaders and they said, we want 15 like this up and down the country. And we went, oh, really? (laughs) Rosalie McGeorge, the lady who went to northeast India, now Bangladesh, her work's carried on for six generations. That work has continued. And there has been a team of Kiwis in northeast India working with the Bangladesh Baptist Church throughout that time. Since independence in 1971, Bangladesh has grown immensely in terms of population. It is now 165 million people. It is the most densely populated country of the world. And if you see those stats, 0.3% are Christian. We want to go to the least reached. The Bengali people are the largest, least reached people group 
in the world. 300 million of them spread across Bangladesh and northeast India. In Bangladesh, it's 0.3% that are Christian. In northeast India, it's 0.5%. But it's still the largest, least reached people group in the world. And there are a few of them. This is Dhaka, the most densely populated city of the world. They are wonderful, wonderful people. We do lots of things, but one of the things we do is hostels. They're not orphanages. The hostels which families choose to send their kids for better education and Christian discipleship. In the hope of these people becoming influential leaders in business, in government, in education, in health, and in the church of the future. This is one of the hostels. Great hostel, great story, run down. The toilets are horrendous, the showers are worse. We want to rebuild it this year. Another hostel, boys' hostel. We want to rebuild three hostels, one, two for boys and one for girls. Last time we went to do an evaluation of the work and how it's going, we took two Māori leaders with us, wanted their perspective. While they're there, they taught these kids, these hostel boys, the haka, which I think will start if I push go. <laughs> Okay, I went back there with my wife in January just a few weeks ago and we went to the same hostel again and the boys were looking at us as if to say, you're going to teach us the haka again? Uh, no, we're not, because we don't know how to do teach you the haka. But the first time they did it, they looked at these two people who were teaching and they said, what are you doing? And then they just loved it and joined in. This is two young women in one of the poorer villages of Bangladesh. You support them. You make this happen. These two women are teaching other young women about the dangers of marrying in your early teens, impact on your education and your choices for the rest of your life. But worse still, the impact of someone coming to your village and saying, hey, I've got the great job for you. It's in the city. You'll earn good money and you'll be able to help your family get through the next difficult patch. The problem is most of them haven't got a nice job in the city at all. It's anything but. And so they go village to village talking to young women about these risks, about health and their own health and their own care. This is um, me. You probably can pick me. The other check shirt is the pastor of these uh, group of villages. The man in the middle is the imam. 92% of Muslims, 92% of Bangladesh is Muslim people. And they're behind this. They support this because they see what we're doing is helping young women in the villages. It's a poor school. You guys help put the bags on that desk and what little equipment is in that school. This is a better school in the city. English medium, Cambridge system. Kids are going on to universities anywhere in the world. They're doing well. This is a men's prison that Cindy and Ross Meyer and a couple of other people led the charge on when it was stopped being used as a prison and turned it into a school. 
where now hundreds of kids are charging around the place, enjoying life and learning together. That's Cindy. That's the deputy principal of the school. Again, Muslim and Christian working together for the good of education and the good of kids. And this is what we need. If you're medical, if you're IT, if you're finance, if you're a teacher, you've got managerial skills, tradie, or a pastor who wants to do three months or three years helping this work, we'd love to chat. I sat down with the leader of the Bangladesh Baptist Churches a wee while ago. His name's Leo Saka. I said to him, Leo, what do you want from us, really? He said, I want you to keep coming and being with us. I said, no, you don't. If we don't see New Zealanders, we can send you a bigger check. And he looked at me and he said, no, it's not what we need. We want people who journey through this difficult period to be Christians in Bangladesh with us. So our story isn't forgotten in the churches of New Zealand. He said, because the British were here. And every year they send us a check, but they don't come. The Australians were here. And every year they send us a check, but they don't come. Sorry, sir. The Southern American Baptists were here. And every year they send us a check, but they don't come. But the Kiwis are stuck with us for six generations. We'd long that you continue to stick with us. And my feeling is, Jesus' greatest hits, his great command to love God and our neighbour, his great commission for all the nations of the world, his great compassion for the most vulnerable, and his great commitment for unity amongst diversity as the people of God, calls us and draws us to be part of it for another generation. My prayer is that Wilson Street would be part of that. God bless you. Thank you, AJ. We're going to take just a moment now to reflect on what Alan has shared. Very, very powerful and, um, yeah, thought-provoking. Thank you, Alan. And I just want to invite us to spend just a moment uh, prayerfully reflecting on what Alan has shared. Um, the thing that stood out for me, for us, for our community, is, is the fact that everyone, everyone gets to play. Everyone has a part to play in this. And so as, as we just pause for a moment, I want to um, invite you to remember that everyone has a part to play. And what is your part? And so as we, as we spend a moment listening for God's voice uh, to us each, what is... What is your part? What is God asking of you? What is God asking of us? Let's pray. Jesus, we have heard this morning about your commitment to us, your radical, never-ending, unchanging, relentless commitment to us, that you would even be willing to die on our behalf, to suffer and to die on our behalf because of your 
commitment to us. And yet you call each of us, Lord, as well, to serve alongside you. What an honour and a privilege that is, that you would call us, that you would call me to come and to serve alongside you and to represent you for the least, um, the largest and the least reached people groups in the world. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak. We invite you to to convict and to to prompt us in our hearts, Lord, with what it is, what part it is that you're calling us each as individuals and as a church to play in your work. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I think that this is a good time for us to, to say amen and to go and enjoy cafe. I hope that's okay, Carol and team. Um, so I just want to wish you all, pray that you all have a wonderful week and look forward to catching up with a lot of you over cafe. Um, Alan and Sandra, will be, will be, you'll be out in cafe and, and have a look for them. Have a look for our friends from Texas as well. And let's just enjoy one another's company and just sit with that challenge as well. Um, maybe you can share what stood out for you the most about what Alan shared. Sure. God bless. Have an awesome week.